Stanley Miller here from Playbook. I'm here with some of my dear friends, incredible educators. We, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, unlocking the rhythm of learning. Um, to my left, I have over here uh, Mickey Smith Jr., uh, currently in Florida. He's 2020 Grammy Educator of the Year. He's at King's Academy now. I'm going to let Mickey tell us a little about his background, but I want to just brief little intro. Mickey, how are you doing? Doing well, man. Good to be with you today. And to my right over here, all the way from the great state of Indiana, where my grandparents are from, but uh, where my dad was born and where Bethany Robinson calls home. She's an educator at Noblesville High School up in uh, Noblesville, outside of Indianapolis. She's on the NACME Jazz Council Grammy Award uh, finalist, incredible musician, uh, and has the most jazz bands I've ever seen at one school. So how are you doing, Bethany? Great. It's really good to be with you all tonight. <laughs> um, before we get into, uh, I, I want to talk about some of your, the reason I wanted you both here today was you guys have very unique and distinct approaches to teaching. Um, I, both of you, I've, I've been really inspired and learned a ton from. So I wanted to kind of just start with, um, so then we can get into the mechanics of what you do. Can you talk a little bit about what are your goals for students when they are, when they have finished a year of class or whether it's three years of class or four years of high school, like what, what do you want them to walk away with? Um, why don't we start with you, Mickey? Um, yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I want them to, to be able to do what they want to do. And, and, and I know that sounds simplistic, but like we really do serve the what's in it for me generation. And that's not a bad thing because if you know what's in it for them and you meet that need, then things like engagement increases, retention increases because they feel like they're getting what they expected. Then my job is to give them what they want and then to increase that, like, like exceed the expectation. So one thing that I do is I have a program I do at the beginning of the year called First Days Lasting Ways, which is really like the student onboarding. It just kind of spells out. It's like being on the plane and they tell you how to put the mask on and all the basics so you don't die. Right. So we don't want you to die in band. We want you to thrive. We want you to survive. We want you to be fantastic. So I basically outline just like you would when you come onto a job. There's an onboarding process and I explain what it means to do things as we call it the band way. Keep in mind, I teach from fourth grade to 12th grade. So like my world's a little crazy. I got to be able to speak eight year old and 18 year old, right? So the band way is just how we do things right. So as we go through this process, toward the end of the, the, pro the program, what I'll do maybe about week two is I'll be like, okay guys, you know, we've been onboarding everybody, we've been getting our instrument uh, testing. We, everybody knows what instrument they're playing. We got all the foundational stuff. Now let's do this. Let me hush and I want you to talk. So we literally go around and we interview the kids. Like, like literally. And sometimes I have a microphone, like I'll, I'm interviewing. What, what do you think about this? And, you know, what are your thoughts on what a successful year would be? What do you want to get out of band, Susie? And I just put the mic up to them and then they, they talk or, or I give them a piece of paper and they write it. We switch it up each year. So it's not the same thing. But the big thing is I want to garner information. And what I do is I, I keep all those little pieces of paper. Sometimes it's like reading hieroglyphs from Egypt or whatever. Sometimes I'm trying to read these kids' handwriting. But I do the best I can. So I'm just keeping it real, y'all, these kids, man. Uh, I, read, I read this stuff. And what I do is I create this, 
this. It's not anything fancy. I just create this little template of, okay, are there some common threads that I'm seeing with all the kids? And if I see common threads and I know, boom, that's something we need to do. Sometimes there's some outliners that are like really dope, like just really in depth. And I, and I add that to it. But the key is I literally try my best to make sure I find out what every kid wants. And then like that infomercial, wait, there's more. Then what I do is I create my list of goals, but they're not mine. They're theirs. And I put them on what I call our I am. I am is an acronym. It's the instructional academic matrix. Now that sounds fancy, but really all it is, is I typed up everything the kids told me they wanted. And what I did was I distilled it down. I reverse engineered it. So I know what my ultimate goal is. And I have to think to myself, okay, in order to get to that, what do I do in August, September, October, November, December? And then I create like these little, let's see, I'm not fancy. There we go. There we go. So for example, you know, you can, you can see, you know, first five notes, and then I have something called pot dye. Pot dye means practice on the days you eat. And that could be a series of any type of worksheet, exercise. I, everything's called pot dye. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It's pot dye, whatever. And then uh, theory overview. But what it does is you can see every month it gives them a clear, distinct idea of what it is we're focusing on. Now, from this, I can create a multitude of things I teach from. And this is the craziest thing, and I'll stop here. The craziest thing to me is no matter how old these kids are, these stickers are ridiculous. Like when we get to the end, like the last week of every month, I don't really teach. I put the agency back in their hands. And I say, okay, guys, you know what the deal is. If you've gotten these goals, now your job is, is to understand that generosity is your privilege. Okay, if you're good, now you got to make sure the person next to you can do it. You get to be your own coach. And then the kids that are like, I don't want to help him get good because he's going to be better than me. Then I tell them, no, no, this is how it works. When you can teach somebody how to do it, that means you're even better because you can't teach what you don't know. And all of a sudden the wheels start turning. Before you know it, we got kids fighting over who's going to teach the other person how to do it. And when I put these stickers up, you would have thought they won some major award. Stickers for like a 14-year-old. It's crazy. They still like it. So that that's our I am because it's the instructional academic matrix and it shows them who I am every month too. Wow. I've never seen anything like that. That is that that totally makes sense and that's incredible. That's why I asked you that question first. I didn't know what the answer was going to be, but that's amazing. Um Bethany, I've visited your school. I haven't yet been in person uh down with Mickey. I've we've we've played and seen each other in times, but I've been visited him teaching. Um, but Bethany, I've seen some of your, the, the skill level, like where you get kids from A to Z from that year. Can you talk a little bit about like, what are your, what about goals for you? How do you, what are you thinking of? How are you thinking about the year? And are you doing the pot dyes? <laughs> no, but I will. I'm stealing everything tonight. Okay. So I would say that I have a lot in common with Mickey as far as letting the students sort of sound their voice into what our goals are going to be. And I, I think that that is, that's been a game changer for me, probably just in the last two years, even. I mean, it's taken me a long time to get to that place. Um, really what I do is I sort of start with what level I think that either they, they're at currently um, by knowing what the class lists are. And um, I come in a little bit I think ahead of the game, if, if Mickey's still trying to get kids like instrument tested and in the, in the right roles, you know, I'm, I'm teaching high school, ninth through 12th grade. So my kids sort of come like out of the box, like 
ready to roll on day one. So I think the very first thing that I do to sort of create this, I don't know, just the springboard is that I get an email list before the, the first day of school and I email every parent, every student, and I just give them that we are so excited that you're going to be back. Bring your instrument on day one because a lot of I think a lot of band directors, depending on the infrastructure and what they have to do as far as setting up their school year, they just can't, like they cannot play on day one. And so students, especially coming from middle school, are used to like waiting until maybe even week two to play or day four to play or something, um, which makes total sense depending on your situation. But for me, I I want them to play a note like from the minute that they're in the classroom. And so when, when they get in, they work actually having them warm up while I'm just like tossing music at them on day one so that they can see that they leave my they leave my classroom on day one with a folder full of music we dance and sing to Count Basie every day to kick off and so we to kick off class and then also once this, the same kind of thing that Mickey's doing is that I wait until things are a little bit more settled and for me that means kids have to kind of start to know each other a little bit more before they're going to be comfortable even speaking into what they want from you know, from this year and from the people around them, because they have to sort of know their names a little bit. So um, even though we're not going to take the first, we have 90 minute classes, I'm not going to take the first full day and just do get to know you games. I may sprinkle that in here and there or ask them, you know, how their summer was. Um, but I usually do it pretty quickly. So that there's just so much playing happening that the kids feel like we're down to business from the minute that they walk in. So there's like a sense of urgency, but also excitement. Like, what are we going to be able to kind of get through and the performances we're going to have this year? So about week three, that's when kids are starting. You can tell that they really are starting to talk to each other a little bit more and be a little bit um, more interactive. And so that's when we have this goals conversation. But before we even talk around the room, I'll have them get in their sections because I really want their sections, the trumpet section, the trombone section, the saxophone section, the rhythm section to know each other. And if kids are shy, they may have not really interacted with each other yet. So I ask them to kind of get in their small groups to talk about goals. So like the teacher's not really involved and they can kind of talk amongst themselves and get to know each other a little bit better. And then I'll ask them as a section, like, what are you really excited about? And I'll also ask them to talk about goals and also dreams, maybe as separate things, because I feel like sometimes their goals may include um, like pl placement at a competition, which we really have no control over. And we have that conversation about, well, what does it mean if we've given our all and we've really, you know, practiced our best and we don't come out with first here or here or here, or we don't even place like that, that can happen, you know, at any point. So we talk about what that means and maybe it's a dream to play somewhere, but a goal could be, well, we're going to hold these sectionals just with as students, or we're going to go bowling, you know, twice this semester so that we have these goals um, of just togetherness and to connecting with community and them understanding how important community is to this music that, that I'm teaching specifically jazz. So we talk about, all, I mean, it could be any music, honestly, but that to me is the, the most important thing. They actually have like friendship goals. They have section goals. Um, and that really they're driving the conversation. And then the other thing too, is we talk about this idea of leaving a legacy. And that means that we're gonna take time out of our class to go over to elementary. Maybe it's that we kind of have an advantage because the elementary school actually meets um, before we start our school day. And so I'll take my first jazz class of the day and we'll go an hour early before school starts and go to an elementary school. And even if the principal isn't keen on us taking any like academic time away, from pulling them out of class, we'll lie in the halls and do a second line parade while they're coming off the bus. 
And so, so, and so you'll see these like tiny little kids in backpacks going like, as they're like walking the gauntlet of like, you know, second line, you know, and it's just, it's so crazy how something like that can be so impactful and it doesn't really take much from us at all. But we, I always am going back to these students about what were the moments in your life that you thought, wow, I can't imagine doing that or that someone sparked something in you. And a lot of times it goes back to those high school kids that came over when they were elementary school kids mm-hmm. and played. So we talk about legacy and we try to get out of the trap of um, the competition part of it so much. And that can be a dream and that's great. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's a little bit out of our control. So what's within our control? It's pot dye. It's like, you know, all these things where we are putting our own time and effort and love into the music and to the people that we sit next to. Amazing. Any rebuttal, Mickey, on that? I love that. Yes and amen. You know, the le- the legacy, the legacy, we forget. And I think, I think that's so important. We get so consumed in the next, um, you know, the next performance, the next thing. We, we, we sometimes, we all forget the big picture. And at the end of the day, you know, we do music because we fell in love with it. It, 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 it attracted us, it engaged us. And I think we, we get so deep sometimes we forget how simple it is just to pick up the horn and how special that is for somebody. Like, especially like those little kids, like there's always, there's always a friendly audience at your disposal at any given point in time. Take it from somebody who has sixth graders. Those little sixth graders, what we do is we go, we go, um, I don't want to call it kidnapping because that sounds bad and this call is recorded for quality assurance, but like we, we temporarily borrow, you know, first graders, right? And then we let the sixth graders play for them. Well, even if the sixth graders squeak or squawk a little bit, which they do pretty good, but let's just say they squeak or squawk. First graders still think that's amazing. And I can't tell you when I was back in Louisiana, how many first graders were like, Mr. Smith, when I get to sixth grade, I already know what instrument I want to play. Like the recruitment thing is so much easier that way. Why? Because you created a moment. And I think that that's one thing we definitely need to get back to. COVID kind of reminded us how important those moments were. And I'm afraid sometimes as we get back into complacency and normalcy, we forget what was essential. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. I love the legacy. I love, love everything. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. What about, so you're talking, both of you talked a bit about empowering students to be leaders. Um, what are some ways that tangible ways you, like you talked about, Mick, you talked about, you know, turning to your left and helping them learn. Um, maybe Bethany, I know, I'd love you, you talked a bit about some of the ways in which you empower students to be leaders. In our class, we have we have a couple of things that we set up. Um, we have an eight block schedule, so it allows students to really have a lot of electives, especially their last year or two. So I, it's sort of become this tradition where the top students, or just students in jazz one and two, our advanced groups, um, it might p- pick up um, a fifth, like one of the um, beginning jazz bands, and sit side by side with these kids all year. And I'll generally have, you know, if it's a lead trumpet player in jazz one when they're in the beginning jazz band, I'll have them play like third or fourth trumpet to get that experience while mentoring side by side and showing kids licks and all of that. And just really sort of pouring into those kids. And sometimes if those kids are going to go into music education and maybe didn't have time to do um, like an internship or something, I'll say, Hey, I'm going to put this, this song aside for you. I want you to teach this to this beginning jazz band. And I'll kind of walk them through, 
you know, how to be a band director and how to conduct this piece. So we're sort of the kids, the students are mentoring student, the younger students, and then I'm mentoring sort of those older students and keeping them engaged um, at, at this, you know, more beginning level. And then the other thing that we do just from a very young age, I start really empowering those section leaders to make decisions. Like if they're going to go to sectionals, I'll not just say, what are you going to work on? But I'll tell them we're about to play a piece from start to finish right now, which, you know, band directors are really bad at like actually doing a piece from start to finish without stopping and fixing things. But I'll start that and I'll say, I want you to have your pencil ready. And the minute you get to a section where you hear your section struggling with something, I want you to put a star or like put a note by that. And that's going to determine what we're going to do right after this for 15 minutes, you're going to work on a section. Maybe it's eight bars, maybe it's 16 bars. And so I'll have, even though I've sort of set the stage for it, those students will tell me what they're going to go work on in sectionals. And so it gives them some agency and some, and you give them, you know, a short amount of time to go, especially if they're younger, so they don't burn things down or get bored. And so then the other thing that I'll do is I will ask a student after maybe a section is not going well with a section, maybe it's a lead trumpet player or a lead saxophone. I'll say, how are we going to articulate this note? And Sometimes that's the first time a student has ever been asked to give feedback to make a decision in a rehearsal, which is a really big deal. And so if they're older, they'll sometimes interrupt the rehearsal, not interrupt, but like join me in the rehearsal and say, I don't feel like we're articulating this well. And they'll start, they'll lead the charge. But when you're a freshman, you've never really probably been asked that question before. So if they look like deer in headlights then you'll say, would you like to do it this way or this way? And if they still don't know, we'll have the whole band demonstrate. And I try to make one answer really wrong and one answer really great. So it just starts to build their confidence in them making decisions. And sometimes I'll, if I see a student that's really maybe like not engaged, I'll figure out how to almost partner with them in leading the class. And maybe that's a drummer who gets really bored because I'm always trying to work out these like crazy woodwind passages. And so sometimes I'll say, why don't you get a metronome in your ear and you give me the time and you keep that the whole time or rhythm section, you sing your parts, even though that's crazy because you're playing drums and it's not a pitched instrument, but you guys sing your parts while they're playing or you'll have different sections, you know, sing while, other sections are playing. So just all ways that you can kind of keep kids in tune to like what's happening or attuned to what's happening and excited because they know, ooh, I have a stake in this rehearsal and I better pay attention because I'm gonna I'm part of leading this. Mm. Mickey, do you do you that sort of like decision making, empowering, critical thinking part, how do you bring that into your classroom where like you talked about well yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have this saying I always tell them. I said that, you know, when, when you're in my class, I'm going to be honest, you know, at first and maybe often it feels it feels like I'm being bossy. And I, I am I am a bit bossy because they're little. So, I you know, and I explained to them, I'm like, don't get it twisted. I may sound like I'm bossing you, but what I'm really doing is trying to help you make boss moves so you can be a boss. So if you accept my bossiness and then operate with that, then something magical happens. I shut up. I stop talking. And when I start getting quiet, that means that I'm really celebrating your ability to make boss moves. If I'm doing a bunch of talking, that kind of means, you know, we kind of baby, right? So, so again, trying to explain it in a level that they can understand and get excited about. I One thing that I, I discovered uh, reluctantly last year was when I took over in, 
at this program, I, I serve as the middle school and elementary guy. I definitely help with the high school, but my my charge is the middle school and elementary. We basically, well, not basically, we had sixth, seventh, and eighth grade all in one class. We had beginners. Yeah, I'll say that again. We had beginners, seventh graders, and eighth graders all in one class. And they had done that before. And believe it or not, there was some frustration, you know, in past years. And, I, you know, obviously when you get something, sometimes you inherit it, right? So I, I knew that I was um, stuck with this for a year. So I'm like, well, how do we make this work? What I came to find out is that bite-sized leaders operate best with bite-sized learning. So what I did was I started hashtagging everything. I started distilling down everything into bite-sized. Why? Because whoever invented the pizza was a genius, but whoever invented the pizza slice was a god amongst men and women, right? So, so these big ideas, I had to chop it up to where the kids could digest it. And not just for their own sake, but when they're nourished and they know how to do it, now I can give them that agency. So in my class, I had sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, but many of the eighth graders, I called them my band leaders. So what we do is as I'm teaching, you know, I was bossy at first. If I did the three claps or if I did something like that, that meant, all right, break, almost like a team huddle. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was martial law at first. It was like, all right, break. And then that meant if you were one of the leaders, your job was to make sure everybody, the three people next to you, knew what you knew. And and there would be, it looked like chaos, but after a while you started seeing that the leaders got better at knowing the people in their section, which is important. As Bethany was talking about, you got to have that, that chemistry. And then number two, they started getting better. And when the little kids started getting better, they started looking at these eighth graders with, with a level of ad, admiration, right? And then after a while, the section started getting better. And before you knew it, I had kids asking, can I help? Can I help the, the students? But the biggest, the reason I can give them that type of charge is because if I have I am, that helps us know what we're doing overall. I also have, uh, this is bad grammar. My wife would kill me. She's a literacy teacher. We have I-R, okay, A-R-E. So every day you come in, I have the agenda. And it seems so simple, but, you know, and I try not to get too deep on the agenda. It's really, really clear for the kids what they're supposed to do that day. So, for example, fifth grade came in, we had reading the notes part two, or we had part one today, tomorrow's part two. And then sixth grade, when they came in, we had page six, and then we have a concert we're doing Saturday. They're going to sit in with my jazz band, with my, my little, I don't even want to call it jazz, like we're like a cover band. But I'm going to open up about 15 minutes for the kids to come up and do like mercy, mercy, mercy. And then they're going to do like sissy strut. Um, we're going to call it the strut because it's 2023. And then like, like uh, the other one, uh, I'm still standing. Right. So we're going to have, we have those three songs that they'll do. We were getting ready for that. And then my seventh and eighth grade, we gave them pot die three. We went over the circle of fifths because we're doing improvisation right now. And then we worked on a halftime show and, and some other music too. But you can see it's simple stuff that they can see as soon as they come in. So when they walk through that door, there's no dead time. They sit in their chair, they see what they need to do, and you can see like all of a sudden they start chatting to one another. That's the A, agenda. The R is the daily routines. And this seems kind of ridiculous, but I do this every day. I go over it each day. Bring person belongs to the shelf, bring your horn to the chairs, have your pencil and your music, read the band agenda board, which we just talked about, five-minute warm-up on your own, Remember to take your belongings when you leave the, at the end of the day. I do this with the fourth and fifth grade 
so that I can I can properly and positively brainwash them so that when they become the middle schoolers, now things are automating. Why? Because if I want to elevate, I got to automate and I got to delegate in order for it to do that. Once I do that, now we have the expectations. And these are what we call our code of cooperation, a.k.a. code of conduct. But nobody likes the code of conduct because that sounds negative. So we say code of cooperation. Why? Because life is better when we band together. Right. So these are the tools that show us how to band together as a band. Follow directions. Raise your hand to speak. Stay in your seat. Be prepared. Respect property of others. Treat others with respect. Gum, candy, food or drinks are not allowed. Why is that important? Because so much of what we have to do to do band has no thing to do with band. So that's those three things. Once I can get them A-R-E, now they're in a position to where in class they know exactly how to operate it. And in the same way that I that I that I that I'm really intentional about how we how we be, how we do is a whole nother level. So so for example, I'll give you this one example and I'll stop. If I'm teaching fundamentals, I always teach what I call level one. Because on the first day of school, when, when you got like beginners, nobody ever tells you on the first day when they get the horns, you're going to hear all the notes and all the beats at one time. Like nobody ever tells you. So when they start playing and it sounds like, like, like anarchy, you immediately think I've done something wrong. But nobody ever prepares you what the first day with horns, what beginners are going to sound like. So it's not even a matter of what I fix. If you're in the classroom, the first thing you think is, man, what's right? Everything feels wrong. So level one is this. Number one is holding still. We teach them how to hold still. Sit tall, shoulders fall, meet the back, feet flat. Or as I like to say, first you got to sit tall, let your shoulders fall. Make a meet in the back and put your feet down flat. You got to sit tall, let your shoulders fall. Make a meet in the back and put your feet down flat. Now they have a mental rubric because they can't get that out their head. So now when I say first you have to, they say sit tall, let your shoulders, they shout back fall, make them meet in the back and put your feet down flat. They know it already. This is the kind of agency I'm, I'm talking about. I want to give them things in bite size, not fun size, not king size. King size isn't fun. King size give you a stomach ache. Bite size, you'll eat the whole bag and then go buy another one. So if I can break it down, they'll consume more. So I teach it to them real small like that. And then the next thing, number two, they watch. So we do games where we practice watching. We don't wait till two days before MPA to yell at your kids and say, watch me. We teach them from day one. We play little games. I'm going to move everybody's feet with my hand. And I just wave my hand. I'm not real big on patterns. I'm just big on, 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 on us participating and doing it the right way. Then after we do that, then the next thing we do is we make sure we toe tap, which that goes with the watching. Then I teach them how to breathe in and breathe out. The question is, how do you breathe? The answer is, how do? Breathing in is, <sighs> breathing out is, <sighs> for a kid, now it makes sense. Now I don't have all these variables. They understand that inhalation is how, and exhalation is always do. So I now I can say, hey, I liked your how, but I didn't like your do. Wow. Rhythmically speaking, I need the do to be this. I need the do to do this. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, you can see how a 12-year-old is like, they can take that and run with it. They can be like a surgeon in a way where they're like, I know exactly what I'm thinking. I know exactly what I want. And I know exactly what Billy's not doing right. And I can give it to him in a positive way and tell, instead of telling him, you just don't breathe right. Now I can say, oh, your how is good, but you do. It ain't doing right. So those are the kind of little things we we do, no pun intended, to 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 make sure to make sure everybody's getting it. And that, like you said, the biggest thing is 
if they feel like they win and they going to stay. And more times than not, if kids quit band, it's because they, they, they felt like it was, it was bigger than they could do. So I think our job is to take all this experience and all these experiences we've had over the years and remember that they're not us and to break them down and distill it down in a way where it's palatable for them. Because once we, they develop an appetite for it, man, like that pizza, they'll devour it, but we can't like shove it all down their throat. And I think that's what playbook does so well too, with the way that you break down concepts, like a kid can look at that and go, Oh, I see myself doing that. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Oh man. Why didn't so-and-so teach it to me that way? Well, you know, because you break down in such a way where it's almost like little episodes. It's like Dora the Explorer. It's it's something that's, that's palatable. You know, we got the map. You know, it's fun. Boots is there. We having fun. Beautifully said, Mickey. I'm I'm always so inspired by by how organized. Like you know, you're having a ton of fun. It's so abundantly clear the impact. But then I have to say, I'm just. Is so bloody organized. Um, Robert Rams over here said, beautiful space, Mickey, by the way. I, I'm going to ask one more question, then I'll open up. If anyone has a question, they want to jump in here. I want to just give you the chance, or if you have a thought you want to share. I, I just want to ask, um, like I said, the organization, you see Mickey has for everything. It seems like you're having fun, you're whatnot, but there's so much. Don't stuff. look at my desk. Don't look at my desk. It's not organized. Okay. <laughs> Look at the room. I mean, what people see, like the room kids come into. How, Bethany, with you two, how do you, I, I mean, it feels like both of you guys are extremely organized. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the things you do? So that, like Mickey, you saw on the board the day before, like they're going to see what they're doing the next day. Like how these these easy wins, it's these bite-sized moments. Um, any Anything, uh, Bethany, for you that you do where you're front-loading, like you know what's happening next that you <laughs> For, for us, I think just having almost like a half a year or an almost a year of music like at their disposal from day one, it gives us a lot of variety to kind of go back and work on different concepts and maybe not get bogged down in like one or two tunes so just so that we're just getting ready for like this concert, but we're really thinking about different genres, different styles. Um, we have a really specific, I would say that our procedures are this really prescribed warm-up sequence that we do where we come in the room um, because I have six bands and I've got, you know, 60 type or, or more charts. I mean, I have to be very- Sorry. Can you be very, six- Come on, man, jazz man, we big can't band. just roll through that. <laughs> she, has, she has six jazz big bands. Don't you see you have six bands? She has six full big bands, Count Basie style big bands. Sorry, I just had to interject. Bethany, go ahead. Yeah, it's that's it's shocking even as I'm like thinking about it. I mean, it did started off as like one sad pet band. I mean, this has been like a lot of years, a lot of growth, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears traveling from school to school, freshman campus, building on to the school. I mean, it's been like the community has grown. Um, it's been the perfect storm of a, a sad small school and a sad young band director who didn't know what she was doing and then like trying to just meeting people that knew what they were doing and just being inspired by them and so I think that that gave me this I don't know unique voice to try to inspire my students because we haven't always been in this position or um, at this at this level or just even this joyful in the midst of teaching because it just felt like survival and never felt like it was thriving until I would say even just a few years ago 
And yet you start every August and it's like Groundhog's Day and some kids can't even play a B flat scale as a freshman. And you're like, and this is why we get paid to do this. You know, it keeps you really humble. But we have this very specific warm up package that all the bands do from um, from the two beginning to intermediate to advanced. And but we can just really build upon that. So we start with dancing to Count Basie every day. And that's the best part because they come in the room. And the expectation is not that I'm going to tell them what we're going to do. It's not that I'm going to give them announcements or take attendance or everyone sit down or like ruin the vibe that way. It's just that they're interacting, interacting, having a great time. I'm checking in with kids that I know maybe are having a rough time or don't quite see themselves or like that gives you that kind of there's music playing in the background. So um, it's just sort of this like good vibe when kids walk in and I try to, you know, just check in with kids that I know need a check in. And then as soon as I press play, then they get to their spots and we're just dancing and singing. And so it's like resetting their brain. It's like getting them in the space. Even if they've had a rough day, hopefully this will literally, you know, shift their brain to be able to kind of get to the music and maybe even complete their stress cycle and like kind of forget about a few things that have not been going great for them that day. And so, and just the idea of moving and, you know, dancing and clapping and being up um, can really help them too, especially if they've already had two or three 90 minute classes where they've been seated the whole time. And they're just like, I mean, physically the kids I think can struggle and that can lead to like mental struggles of just being, you know, tired from sitting so much. So this interaction I think is great. Um, we always like, I'll always yell at them, what's jazz music? And they'll say it's dance music, you know? So it's like really good to integrate that in when it's music that we typically just sit and read when it was an oral tradition and like a dancing tradition. So we're trying to like kind of bring the roots back to that as well. And so we're dancing, it goes straight into a B flat blues. We do long tones and we have this prescribed like blues vocabulary where they're playing, you know, four bars of all these different um, famous blues quotes. So they're already like building their own vocabulary. So if they're, if they're not feeling, if they're young and improvising, when we get to imp improvisation, they know, 12 to 15 famous easy licks that they can play and everyone erupts like and claps and gets excited for them because like it's the bite-sized thing right we're not learning these these huge concertos or we're not like learning like a charlie parker like bebop so that would take you years it's like you know just um sunny moon for two or something really really simple and i can get that to um sammy and we can get that um the blues vocabulary thing it's it's, it's great it's not something i can publish because but they're all in concert B flat. So your rhythm section just rolling through concert B flat blues, which is great. And so Tim anyway, because we have oh, just for the Tim asked, just to clarify, six bands at the same time or one band, then he also and then he asked about sharing the warm-up. Those are the Tim, Tim suits asked here. I, so, um, just clarify, we have, it's, it's it's not six bands at once. Can you just click or is it? No, it's um six different classes. So I have there's um, eight classes. We teach four one day, four the next, and it's like a rotating block schedule. So six of those classes for us is jazz. Um, we have different band directors teaching um, five concert bands. We've got four. It's a big, it's like 3,400 um, students at this high school. So it's a, it's a big high school as well. I should clarify, this is not like a tiny high school, right? Like made every kid to jazz. Um, but we have um, but I also do, um, I have a prep and then like a study hall. So th anyway, that completes my, that my um, eight classes. I also help with orchestra. So we have someone that's kind of helping out with one of my beginning jazz bands and I kind of float in between. Um, but once we get that warm up done, all the students have done long tones, they've tuned, they've listened for balance and blend, they've done chords, they've 
I'm done improvisation. So it's sort of almost a thing where the routine has helped us build into like been the springboard for us. And I think that this routine, and it's funny because I, I do have a lot of people that will come and like I had someone Monday come from Chicago public schools to watch me teach. I've got someone from Scotland, someone came up from Atlanta and just to sit in my class for a couple of days and like, see what we do. And my favorite thing about it is that they're like, wow, I didn't realize how like routine driven this class was, especially, you know, if you're at this level or um, the kids are improving so well, but it's, it's, we build upon this. So once they learn that as freshmen, they, we, they do it as sophomores, but maybe instead of just going up and down the scales, we go in thirds or we start going a little bit quicker, like the velocity that changes. So we, and maybe instead of just going over contour B flat blues, maybe every 12 bars, we'll move it up a half a step and chromatically. And then I do popcorn and pick kids and you're so on and be natural. And they're like, ah, and then they try. And it's like a lot of fun, you know? So trying to keep this incredible like routine all the time. And yet I have to change it up somehow every day to keep kids on their toes once it becomes like solid for them so always kind of the idea of like routine so they feel safe but then they you don't want them to feel so safe that they're bored so you have to change it up a little bit and so within that safety they feel like they can try new things and so I think that's um, a really um, a kind of a tenet of what what we do in our classroom uh, you, know, you know Sammy I, like like that that what she just explained, I have a term for that I call creative redundancy. So like, it's this idea of, yeah, you know, to the house, cause I've had people come in and observe and Bethany, I know what you're talking about. Like they come in and they're like, oh, wow. I didn't realize it was so routine. And some people say it from a standpoint of like, wow, that's amazing. And then some people are like, oh, I thought it would have been something more. And I'm like, no, that's what, that's what, it's a discipline. Like it's, it's, it's routine. That's, that's part of what this is. But I, 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 I say that to say one thing that 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 you do masterfully is you set the thermostat where a lot of educators operate with a thermometer. You know, I'm not going to say all, but there are a number of educators that the only way I can make this make sense. We've all been on those gigs where we're not Beyonce. We just might have got called in to play at the restaurant or we may have got called in to play at the jazz fest and we weren't the headliners. So it's not like we had this rabid following of beehive people that were just like waiting in the streets for us to play. And if you're not, if you're Beyonce, you can show up on a stage and vibe off of the crowd's energy because they came with a spirit of expectancy. They came like ready. They went out and bought new clothes just to come to your expensive concert. They just came with that, that, that intensity. But if we're, if we're not careful as educators, if we walk into the classroom and we make a practice or we make a routine off of waiting on the kids to give us that energy, then that's a recipe for disaster. So I have this concept I call win by 10. So in the first 10 minutes of class, that routine, that structure, there's certain things I want to do to make sure it pops. You know, part of Bethany's uh, win by 10 is the dance, you know, that thermostat, setting the climate, setting that energy. And that looks different for different ages. You know, mine's more regimented because I, we don't want the energy the eight-year-old's going to bring. Like, like not at the beginning. Like, they'll burn Rome. So I have to, like, make sure that we got a little bit of structure. Like, the boundaries bring freedom, right? But as they get older, I treat them totally different than I treat the high school students. When the high school students come in, man, I might be on my sax and and playing a groove and, and looking at a kid, kind of cueing him, like, hop in on this. And then he hops in. And then we play, and then another kid hops in. Before we know it, we done created something. 
I would never do that with a fourth grader, not at the start of class, you know? So it's just kind of knowing your clientele, but making sure, you know, that whatever we're doing, that we're always cognizant that we are the, the thermostat, that we set that climate. And then ask yourself, what does that look like? How can we get that thing ignited and going from, from the start? Because if you wait too long to get them going, it never really gets going. Yes. Wow. So well said. It, are there any, I just want to be if, um, be mindful of time here. We're going to spend about five more minutes here. If anyone has any question, feel free to speak up or you can put it in the chat. Um, I know Tim asked the question about the, the warm up, which I've seen that warm up with Bethany's class. It's incredible to see kids in jazz six, five, four, everyone go through and play this warm up, and it becomes like a little bit of their blues bible so then she goes points to them time to blow on the on the b flat blues and they feel comfortable any question or thought anyone jeff uh, or tim anybody i just want to be that someone has a question if not then i'll just take us home i'll jump in um i was just digging on what what bethany was saying about these are standard blues licks you can't find those everywhere, at least, you know, not as a blues musician or, a, or a, a strong jazz musician. I don't find those everywhere. So that's what I was kind of looking forward to, that we could take those and start implementing those on, on a B-flat blues. Or then we can switch it up and transpose the licks or something and put them on an F blues and get those kids used to those kind of ideas. I thought that was cool. Awesome. One one great thing about it too, if you don't mind, just real quick, Sammy. Um, the the cool part about that too is they're all transposed into concert B flat. So some of them are original key B flat, and then some of them are transposed to B flats, just so we can um, blow over the blues. The rhythm section can keep going. But the cool thing is, is you can use that as a really great transcription project for really young students because you can start because you know the blues is generally say something, say that thing again, and then say something different. Um, or there's like so many ways to think about the blues. So if they know four bars, they probably know eight bars of the 12 bar blues because it's usually something that they might repeat. And then they can start kind of thinking about those last eight bars. So all of a sudden they, you know, you can just do it as a class, like find this pitch, find this pitch, let's sing this pitch together if you want to go beyond those four bars. And it can kind of become this really great. And again, we talked about these goals that we have for students and I will never be able to, get kids all the places that I want them to go but I can give them a taste of all these pathways and then just like Mickey was saying and at the end they can take it and just run if their thing that they really want to be great at improv and we do a little bit of transcribing in class and they catch a bug and then they can go on their own path and then they can show other kids and then they can kind of create their own club it's like you just sort of say hey like open up as many worlds to them as possible and we'll never be able to go as a deep dive as we want to go, but it's really incredible what kids can do if you just even just open a small window and what or small like crack a door and just show them a world and then just let them go. Thank you both for your time this evening. Um, I really appreciate everybody for being here too. And uh, I hope everybody took some stuff away from this. I certainly did. Mickey, Bethany, you all are so incredible, so inspiring, really like, oh my gosh, I have to, I wish I had had you two as my teachers. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say is I wish like I had someone 
who just puts that much love and care into everything they do. It's, it's so incredible. Um, and, uh, I will, um, Jeff Kerr speechless. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, everyone. Lots of love here. So I'm going to end this here today so everyone can go work on their, uh, what they're going to do for tomorrow based on what we, what we talked about today. Um, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you for what you do. All right. I'm going to hang off of this Zoom call. Everybody have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.